Welcome to Oikos. How are y'all doing? Awesome. Who's been watching the Olympics? Thank you. We love the Olympics at our house, so we enjoy watching all those um, athletes just put their heart on the line and everything that they have trained for, they go for it. Here at Oikos, one of the things that we go for is family. We talk a lot about family. We talk about extended family. We talk about building family. We talk about going out as families on mission. Do you agree? Do we talk about family? Do you get tired of hearing about family? That's good, because we're a family, whether you like us or not. That's family, right? You look around and you go, boy, I can't stand that person, but they're family. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love them because they're family. Well, one of the problems that we have, one of the challenges that we have is that when you hear that word family, we all come with a different background of what that really looks like. So as a speaker, I sometimes have to step back and go, you know, when I say the word family, maybe that doesn't hit the heart of people the way it hits my heart. Because we all grew up in a different atmosphere, a different family. Some of us haven't experienced what we would say a healthy family really looks like. Some of us, we want that, but we don't even know what that picture really looks like or how to achieve it. Sometimes when you're thinking about having a healthy family, you pray for it but you don't even know what words to pray for because you haven't experienced it. Some of us want to jump into family, but we have a hesitancy because we're not even sure when I talk about join the family, what are we really getting ourselves into? So one of the ways you figure out what a family looks like is you look at the character of the leader of the family. So what is the character of our Father in heaven? If you don't know the character of the Father, it's going to be very difficult to understand what you're actually jumping into. If you don't know who He is, it's difficult to become His child because you won't know what He wants you to become. So what is the character of our Father in heaven? Is he distant? Is he untouchable? Is he something that is just out there and maybe he hears you, maybe he doesn't? Is he someone that looks at the things that you do and keeps a tally? What is the character of our Father in heaven? Is, he, is his emotions there with you? When you have joy, does he have joy. When you're sad, does he weep? How do you see the character of our Father in heaven? One of the ways that I think we do this is that we reflect on our own fathers. And the problem with that is some of us, just like our families, have a different experience with our fathers. Even those of us who'd say, man, my dad is great. We can remember when he failed. 
Others remember a whole lot more failures than their father. They remember a dad that wasn't put together. They may remember a dad who stumbled in at night drunk and unaware of what he was doing to their mom. Some of us may remember a father who we wish would have stumbled in, but he was just gone. And some of us don't even know who our father is because he was never there. And when I step in those shoes, I think, man, that word family may not resonate as much as it may resonate with me. That word father may not have a sense of, wow, that's awesome. Because we think about the father that we lived with who failed more than he succeeded. I wonder how much that colors how we think about our Heavenly Father. When that word Father is uttered, what do you even think of? What emotions begin to erupt? Emotions of fear, anxiety, joy, happiness, or nothing. We're going to look today on what God's Word reveals about the character of our Father. And we're going to look at a story that many of us may have heard. If you went to church when you were a, a, young, a young guy and you went to Sunday school, you may have heard this story at least once a year. If you have not gone to church ever in your life, or that wasn't a part of your family, you probably have heard the story told in a different sense because it is a classic story and it's a wonderful story that we need to hear, I think, more than just once a year. So this morning we're going to get into the Word and we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke, but to start out we're going to be in Genesis. So if you want to take a look with me at the character of our Father who he is, and maybe it will change a little bit about how you see him. So we're going to Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Up until this point, remember the story of creation is that God created everything, and then he decided to create man in his own image. And that's where Adam came from, and he said he was good. And then he created Eve out of Adam's rib, and he said it was very good. He really said Adam was very good too, but I was giving a little props here. So Eve was very good, Adam was very good. This was, this was the joy. This is a dad when he sees his child for the first time in that hospital room going, awesome. Or the face, I imagine, when I try to connect to how God sees that first moment when Adam took his first breath is the moment that I saw with Sarah the first time she held Abriana. Inexpressible. Words cannot tell you what was going on there. 
But this little baby was in her arms. And she wasn't going to let go. Of course, and so then he releases them to do life with him. And they take walks in the garden. And he put one restriction, don't eat of this tree. Verse 2. Of course, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied, because God said we could. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it too. This is just side commentary, but isn't that just the way it always is? Is that the husband is right there, <laughs> doesn't say anything, and just goes, okay. We're just stupid. But anyways, at that moment their eyes were open and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. The character of our Father in heaven is one who does not wait for his children to come to their senses. He doesn't wait for you to figure it out. He doesn't look upon you and say, I'm just going to wait a little bit longer because they really made me mad. In fact, he looks upon them and has compassion. He looks for them and calls out their name. So that they would come back to him. I mean, seriously. He looks at them and says, you sewed fig leaves together. You don't look so good. And he takes animals and says, I'm going to even clothe you. Because what you did wasn't so great. But now you'll be fully clothed. He looks at them and says, you're mine. And I'm going to walk with you again. The character of the Father is not one who says, I'm done and I'm going to destroy what has been destroyed. He says, I'm going to restore what has been destroyed. The thing about the character of the Father is that this is then imitated by Jesus. Jesus imitates the character of the Father. And as we go into the Gospel of Luke, we see in a couple parables before the parable we're going to look at, that he talks about this character. This character of, I will be the crazy one who goes out and seeks you, who will risk 
my fortune so that you can be found. And he talks about a shepherd who has 100 sheep and he leaves 99. He leaves, he leaves his fortune to get the one. He goes, I'm going to be the one who is called crazy so that I can come and get you. Because that's my character. My character is that you're worth enough for me to be seen as crazy. And then he tells another parable about a woman who has nothing. She's a widow, unsupported, and she's looking all over for one coin. And he says, I'm going to be the one who will walk in humility to find you. I will seek all day long, if it takes, to look and find you. Because I won't let you go. Because you are my fortune. You're everything that I have, and I don't want to let it go. This is the imitation of the Father that Jesus begins to tell those. And in the crowd, there were those who wanted to love him. And there were those who loved to hate him. And he was saying this to all of them. And to all of those who loved him and all those who hated him, he said this final parable. This is in Luke, but we're not going there yet because Paul talks about this humility that Jesus demonstrates. And he says this in Philippians. So to the Philippian church, Paul wrote, Though he was God, he's talking about Jesus, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges, just like the woman. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God, and he died a criminal's death on the cross. He walks in humility for us. And to this crowd, he then says, hear one more story. Because this is the character that I'm imitating of the Father who loves you. This is in Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 11. Many of them, have, or many of you have heard this story as the prodigal son or the lost son. And so you've heard it many times, but I want us to take a deep breath and ask the Spirit to fall upon us and let us hear it afresh today. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. At this time period, when a son would do that, there were a couple things that would happen. Either one, the father would say, you're crazy, and now you're out of the family because you're basically asking me to be dead. So I'll see you later. Or a father could say, okay, son, essentially, I will be seen as dead because I'm going to be dividing up my estate. I will receive none of it. The older son would always receive the majority portion. 
So the older son would have received two-thirds of this estate, whatever they owned, and the younger son would have got a third. What that would have resulted to in is that the, they probably would have had to sell some of their estate because the son didn't want to drag along camels and, and you know, the donkeys and the sheep and all that kind of stuff because he was going to go have a party. So he wasn't concerned with starting a new ranch or a farm. He was more concerned with, I need some money. So they would sell some of it, and the younger son would get his third. And then the father, he would still be the patriarch of the family, and the older son would basically take him in and say, I'll take care of you. Though the, the father would still have a voice in the family, essentially the, the son would become the owner and the leader. So this is what the younger son was asking. A few days later, his younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. There he wasted all his money in wild living. We don't know what that means. Well, some of you do. Anybody had some wild living in their life? Yes, your pastor had some wild living. Not going to disclose. It was a time when I was stupid. So, they had some wild living. About that time, his money ran out. It must have been really wild. A great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. This guy was a Jew. So this is the worst of the worst. Because pigs were unclean, so unclean they couldn't eat them, so unclean if they touched them, they should be sent away from everybody else. And he was sent to take care of them. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. No compassion. No love. No care. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying hunger. I'll go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. I wonder how many of us have felt this way with our father. How many of us have, what I would say, gone stupid? And in the moment that we realize we've gone stupid, we lose our identity and think our father won't see us as a son or a daughter anymore. Look what I've done. Maybe he'll give me something of his kingdom. So we make a deal. Please take me on as a hired servant. Verse 20, so he returned home to his father. And while he, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, Bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. 
get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. I love this character representation of our father. Because he sees his son losing his identity and he says, quick, stop everything. My son has forgotten who he is. Everyone, this is a war we have to wage now. Not later, now. Go get the stuff that will remind him of his place in my house. And kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead, and now he returned to life. He was lost, but he is found. So the party began. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf, and we're celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out. The character of our father is that he does not care what position you're in. Whether you've lost your identity because of wild living and you're filled with shame and you're, you're unsure whether you even have a place at the table, this father runs out and kisses you and says, welcome home. Quickly, put your identity back on as part of the family. Whether you're the son that thinks you're too good. You see, what Jesus was doing here is he was talking to those who would identify and say, I'm a sinner. I've been expelled by the religious elite here. They think I'm beyond salvation. And he was talking to church people. Church people who say, why are you celebrating for that? Why isn't this about me? Haven't you seen all the good things I've done? I'd say many of us could identify there. You're brought up in the church. Or even if you weren't brought up in the church, you didn't do the bad things that the other people did. You know, the bad things, the really bad things. You did some of it, but not the bad stuff. And you're looking and you're saying, God should honor me for that. And why is he honoring those others? Why are those others thinking that they have a place here? Now, you wouldn't normally do this in the church because that would be socially unacceptable, although I've seen people do it. <laughs> it's amazing when you see it. When someone walks in and people turn around and look at them like, you shouldn't be here. That's awful, right? Socially unacceptable. But I bet we do that in our own neighborhoods. I bet you do that to your neighbor when you think you're in the wrong place. I bet we've done it when we've driven through Houston. 
what Jesus is saying is take a step back because the character of the Father loves even you when you do things like that. In the middle of your disdain for those who he loves, he looks at you and says, you still have a place. It's incredible. This is an amazing father we have. He looks at you and he says, come on in, your brother is back, and your father is killed a fattened calf. This is what he was told, and he didn't want to go in. And then in verse 29, he said, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing that you told me to do. And all that time, you never gave me even one goat for at least a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, which we really don't know whether or not he did, and he doesn't know because he hasn't talked to his brother. But isn't that what we do? We kind of use a little hyperbole, make it a little bit worse. You celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, look, dear son, You've always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. It already is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead, and he's come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. The character of the father is that he'll go out and he'll look, not only for the younger brother. You can imagine him standing on top of his house on the roof, looking out every day. Will my son come home? Kind of like Porter running up there. He will stand there and he'll wait. Will he come home? And he's watching. I don't know if you guys, well, of course you have. Waited for something? Just think about the last thing you had to wait for. That you really were waiting. You bought it on Amazon. It's supposed to be two days hasn't been there yet, and you're waiting for that. Now amplify, you know, amplify that several times. If you're a parent, think about your child who's been missing, and you're waiting for them. Well, I'm going to disclose. This is, this is an add-on to the sermon, but it's, it works perfectly. It just came to my mind. So I was in charge of the children, <laughs> my children, not others, my wife was working, and in my awesomeness, I thought I had them all taken care of because I thought they were in another room watching TV as I was doing work, I think. I don't really remember what was happening. I might have been watching the Olympics, but I was watching the children while I was doing it. I go in, think, it's awful quiet which is strange in our house. But they're watching TV. I go in and I see three children, which is usually a problem, because we have four. I see the oldest ones, but I do not see Amaria. And Amaria is, her name means a, a gift from God. <laughs> and she is a gift from God. And she and I have spent a lot of time together in her little years. And I start looking for Maria. And I'm looking all over the house. And there's two things going on in my heart. One is, 
where the heck is she? And I hope she's okay. And the second one is, Sarah's going to kill me. <laughs> she left me with a simple task, and I've already screwed it up. It was all day, though, just in consideration. I go looking for Maria, and I cannot find her. I've looked in all the rooms. I've crawled up to Abriana's loft. I've looked in every room. Zach, I've gone into the closets. I cannot find her. And I'm thinking, don't panic. Amaria often just goes and does her own thing. And we've been watching the neighbor's dog, so perhaps she went over to the neighbor's house. Could happen. So I come back to the rest of the kids and go, all right, we are now a team. We have to go find Amaria. And so we all spread out, Amaria, Amaria, Amaria. And we're all looking. We're going through the whole yard. Amaria, Amaria. We're not. And now I'm starting to not worry as much about getting in trouble with my wife. I am starting to have a deep panic within my heart that I've lost my daughter. Where is she? Ten minutes later. Whew, long ten minutes, right? The kids have already gone up and down the street. Abriana, in her classic form, has already talked to the neighbors about it. Yeah, you know my dad, who's a failed parent. He lost one of us. Could you help us find her? So I go, okay, Lord, I need to find her because I don't want this day to end this way. And so I go back through the house, and I'm looking one last time. And on her bed, which had been stripped because we were washing the sheets, there was a blanket on there, and I had seen the blanket, but it just looked like it was rolled up and put in. She had rolled herself up like a taco. And she was in the blanket. And I poked the blanket. And there's Amaria. And I'm like, I'm so glad I found you. And now I'm about ready to kill you. <laughs> but that's the sense that our father has when we're lost. He is looking for us. He employs all of his kingdom resources to find us. And he has no shame that others would find out that he's lost us. And so though I didn't appreciate Abriana saying it, it did make out to be a great illustration. And now the neighbors know if they ever see me alone with the children, keep their eyes out because he's probably going to lose one. The father looks at both brothers. Both were living like slaves. The younger brother was living in the slave of wanting things that he didn't need. Seeking. His appetite was so, he was so hungry and yet he had everything, but he didn't know it until he crashed at the bottom of it. 
His appetite was so strong that he could not control it. And he lived as a slave to his own appetite. The older, the older brother lived as a slave to his own work. Here he was the owner of his ranch or farm. And he was worried about one calf that was used for a party for his brother. He was so concerned about the provision in his life, and yet he had everything. Both were living as slaves. Both were living in scarcity instead of abundance. And I bet many of us can identify that one time or another, we're one of those brothers. The common solution is both is in scarcity. Both are far away from the Father, the one who provides everything. Both are living in loneliness. I'm sure one of you, perhaps it's yourself, or you know someone who's experiencing loneliness right now. You've been seeking everywhere, and the Father is there just saying, I want to be with you. Both of us have this problem, or both of the sons have this problem, and yet both are embraced and invited to be a part of the family. One of the things I've been telling my kids is that I don't like it when I tell them about something, and then they respond with, I know. Have you ever done that? Someone tells you something, you go, well, I know. It's like this common response. It's so irritating. Because you're like, no, you didn't know. Because if you did, you wouldn't have done that stupid thing. But yeah, you say, oh, I know. Go clean your room. I know. Uh-huh. Have you seen your room? Go wipe your face. I know. No, you don't. You've got chocolate on your leg, beyond your face. You're not acting very nice to your brother. I know. Uh-huh. You're awesome. And I love you. We often say we know. And I'm going to actually give credit to all of us. We do know. We know that the Father... His character is one that will seek and find us, and he loves us. We know it. How many of you know that? The problem is, is that it doesn't sink down to our heart where we believe it. And so what we're trying to do as we worship together is take the things that the Father has told us and we know and let them rest upon our hearts so that we can live it. We're going to take a look at a testimony about a guy who's thinking through this parable of the prodigal son. Let's take a listen.
Let's pray. Lord, we pray that the things that we know would fall and rest upon our hearts, that we may embrace your character, the character that is spoken about in your word. We pray that we would be reminded that we would embrace that you are a father who will not quit on us, that you are a father who will look for us, a father who doesn't look at what we have done wrong, but instead looks forward to who we are becoming, a father whose love is not, not destroyed by our rebellion, a father who will risk his kingdom so that we could become heirs. A father who sees our potential even when our friends in this world do not. And a father who would pull us out of our own isolation, our own loneliness, our own destruction. That he would pull us out of those things and into his family, into his love, into his commitment to us. Lord, we pray that these things we would embrace in our hearts. And for those of us right now that we need one of these truths that we know to move to our heart, I just, I pray that you would raise your hand right now, center in on whatever that truth is that you're having a hard time allowing to move from your head to your heart. Lord, I pray for those who have raised their hands and you know the truth that is about you that they know. May that change from just knowing into believing as it moves from their head to their heart. That they would make space for you in, your, in their hearts and that you would reside there. Lord, I pray that those truths would not be dismissed those truths would not be forgotten, but they would move to their hearts. We pray, Spirit, may you rest upon the hearts of the people of your family that you have gathered here this morning. For those who know they have a place here as part of the family, for those who wish they had a place here as a family, and they just need to be reminded that they do, for those who aren't even sure if they want to be a part of the family, but they're here today, Lord, I pray that you would give them the invitation. If not in this oikos, in this household, in this place, in another place, where they can say, this is my family, and it's a family of God. And my Father loves me and will seek me out each day. Invite me back into the house when I'm being a jerk, and invite me into the house when I'm confused and lonely because he loves me and he will not forget me. In your name we pray, amen.